You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. I am Colin, a history professor at a large research university in the Midwest of the United States, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tyler. Hello, I'm a PhD student in German, and I study mostly German linguistics. And Colin and I are both former worship leaders, meaning that we were band leaders for the group of people that play music in a church setting. We were one of those guys with... uh, Hip clothes and guitar in front of us, singing passionately into a microphone. But now we're here speaking passionately into our microphones. There we go. Optimistic that we can arrive at a better understanding of what thoughts, emotions, and ideas are being put into the mouths of the church. Yeah, and hopefully also learn a few things about God and do some good work that is beneficial to people on worship teams for pastors, and just for people who listen to Christian music broadly. And that's what we're going to do today as we are looking at hymns in this series. And today's hymn is Abide With Me by the Gettys. Tyler, let's just start off with the basics. Uh, who or what is the song about? What happens in the song? Just give us a bit of a summary as to what's going on. Yeah, this song was written by Henry Francis Light, an Anglican minister in Ireland in the 19th century. So and it's fitting that the Gettys have done this song then. It's quite fitting. An old Irish hymn sung yeah. by a new Irish pair. Yeah. And this song, based on his poem is insightful and complex in a subtle way. So it's got rather simple syntax, rather mundane words for the most part, but deep theological ideas housed in it. And it's about finding comfort in Christ as a Christian approaches death, knowing that in Christ we have victory over the grave. Light wrote this nearing his own death, recalling the words of a friend on his deathbed who uh, begged the minister to abide with him, meaning to wait with him. Mm -hmm. And it brought to his mind, obviously, the appearance of Christ to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. The singer throughout the song pleads with Christ to abide with him, A pervasive contrast of life decaying and changing Mm -hmm. and Christ not changing ever. Yeah. So let's talk about the first verse. Tyler, you're a linguist. You understand a lot more about languages than I or indeed probably any of our listeners do. This word eventide is a kind of a strange one. Can you kind of help us understand that word and maybe 
what's going on in this first stanza? Yes, this word is a compound. It's formed from even and tide. And as we've mentioned on past episodes, tide is merely an archaic word for time. It refers to a phase or a regular period of the day. And even refers to the evening or the time after the sun has passed the horizon, after it's even with the horizon, and the light of it still shines as a twilight. So fast falls the eventide means that night is coming soon. Yeah, and then in the next line, we get that the darkness is deepening or deepens. So similar idea. I was wondering when I was just reading these words afresh, and obviously this is a song that I've sung a lot, so this was not a new song to me, but I tried to approach it in a fresh way. I was wondering what the darkness was. And like you, after reading the whole song, I realized that what's happening is this metaphorical synonymity between life and kind of a day or you know the, the 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 day giving way to the evening and that bringing on death but initially i was just wondering uh, at what point we sort of realize that this is a metaphor about the day and before that it's just sort of the darkness and what is the darkness deepening mean is that just illuminating a choice of words is that just uh augmenting the fact that the evening is coming at what point i guess i'm just looking here perhaps the second verse yeah it's maybe not until the second verse that we begin to know what what the the day night metaphor is doing before that it's just kind of unclear it could be it could be a number of things it could be sin it could be sadness loneliness. it could be death loneliness yeah darkness of despair right so we don't really know there's this idea that the person is in some distress because the other helpers have failed him and his comforts or her comforts are gone. And there's a petition to God to help. So you might actually get the impression in this first verse alone that darkness is some kind of, yeah, isolation or loneliness or discomfort. Mm-hmm. There's a psalm that says, darkness has become my only companion. Mm. Yeah. Implying a kind of total isolation and loneliness. As I mentioned in the introduction, this word abide, meaning to remain or to stay with someone, comes from the Gospel of Luke. Not, yes, that word exactly, not just that idea. In Luke 24, Christ's body is nowhere to be found because he's resurrected. And as two of his disciples were on the road to Emmaus, Christ walks with them and he illuminates the scriptures for them. There you go, using that word again. Um, And when it gets dark, he feigns as if he's going to go on and they plead with him to stay with them in the village so that they can feed him. And they're they're quite excited about all the things that he shared with them and they'd like to hear more. Um, And then verse 29 of that, chapter says, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So not only is the word abide in this song referring to that passage, but also the 
day to night cycle is introduced in that idea. Mm. So perhaps it would be good if, if you're thinking about this song for your church to potentially read this passage near the time you sing this song, because it, it helps a lot. Yeah, it gives some context. It helps you realize that both the phrase, abide with me, and the metaphor that the song is using are found in scripture. Mm-hmm. Would you say, Tyler, that the main problem in this song is dying? And I'm wondering if you saw any sin in this song. There's no obligation that every song necessarily have sin be the problem. But I did find it interesting that there is a problem mentioned, but it doesn't seem to be our main problem. Yes, and this is an unfortunate consequence of the choice of verses that the Gettys have made. There are other verses to this poem and other verses that are often sung when this song is sung in church that are missing in this version. So one that comes to mind is, Come not in terror as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings, teals Tears for all woes, a heart for every plea. Come, friend of sinners, thus abide with me. And then another verse that's been omitted. Thou on my head in early youth didst smile, and though rebellious and perverse meanwhile, thou hast not left me, oft as I left thee, on to the close, Lord, abide with me. That's impressive, especially. It's a glaring hole in this yeah, version. big time. Right, because the Gettys version, it, there are some really great aspects to it, but it's just kind of about dying and, and death, um, which, again, the cynical part of me, and listeners will know this part of me well because he comes out all the time, the cynical part of me remembers that if you want to sell Christian music, especially if you want to sell licensing rights, you need to have those songs connected to particular liturgical functions or ceremonial functions. So if this song has a bunch of stuff about sin in it, then it kind of competes or could compete with the stuff about death, especially if it's it's the type of song that might be used at like a more generic funeral. A funeral where you're going to have people from all sorts of different beliefs and some Christians, some non-Christians, you know, you can still have abide with me and the Christians will know that it's about Jesus and, you know, that it's a nice song, but it's inoffensive the way that the Gettys have it to the the non-Christian or to a person of a different faith. I'm not assigning nefarious or, you know, ill motives to the Gettys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it is convenient that, the verses that are omitted allow the song as the Gettys have it to fit very nicely with a funeral, in which case it's going to sell more and get played more. And be more palatable to people who would object to being called sinners or thinking of what bad things they have done as sin. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it would be seen as very um, inappropriate at a funeral, for example, for for people at the funeral to say anything that could possibly impugn the dead. Even if the person is a non-Christian, it would take some pretty 
big bowls of guacamole to convince a person, a Christian, to comment about the person's sin or if they weren't a Christian or like there there's funerals, even funerals are just meant to give us this assurance that, you know, no matter what they believed or no matter what they were like, you know, they're fine now, right? They're happy now. They're, they're smiling down on us, you know, that kind of stuff. But of course we know that that's not necessarily true. And if they're not a Christian, it's definitely not true. They're not smiling down on us. So, but there's tremendous pressure at funerals to not speak the gospel. And obviously they're, not giving anybody advice, but I hope that at my funeral, the gospel is proclaimed clearly. Um, and I hope that it makes people uncomfortable who are not Christians at my funeral. If no other time for them to think about this, then when? Just to be clear, I don't think either of us would advocate saying cruel and offensive things about someone who has died, but no. not calling them a sinner is not doing them or anyone else a service. No, it's not. No, I remember my wife and I, people thought we were a little bit forward because at our wedding, we insisted that there be a clear presentation of the gospel, not just some comments about God or, you know, what God has brought together, let no one separate, or just some Bible verses we wanted. Love is patient. Yeah, right. Love is kind. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. We wanted the gospel. We asked the pastor to explicitly uh, share the gospel and to say that that's what we wanted. And he did. He was very faithful to do that. We're very grateful to him still to this day for having done that. Good job, buddy. I wanted to say some things about the second part of this stanza. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless abide with me. It is true that God is the help of the helpless, and he is shown in this way explicitly, actually, in the Psalms and the Gospels. Jesus is shown as having compassion on the helpless, and in the Psalms, there are several Psalms that talk about God helping those who are destitute or without hope in some way. So that's definitely true. I do just think it's worth mentioning as a point of clarification that helplessness alone, though, is not sufficient criteria for God to help. There is a great passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, which says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, so speaking about Jews, remember that at the time, uh, this is before a person was converted, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So here we see the kind of helplessness that God helps and how he helps the helpless. So it's not merely that he ushers them through passing from life into death, but he rescues those whom he has called and he grafts us in to his people. And so Again, I don't necessarily expect the song to necessarily you know, expound upon all of that. 
And I don't think the song is necessarily saying that all helpless people will be helped. But I do think it's just worth clarifying that minor point with some scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does a lot more than ferry us to the afterlife, right? Yeah. Yeah, and his help is a lot more than just comforting us in a time of death. I mean, our comfort in time of death is the knowledge that we have been found in Christ, that he rescued us. Let's talk about the next verse. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay and all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. What's going on here, Tyler? Well, we have this subject, life's little day, which points to the fact that our time on earth in a grander scheme is quite minuscule. Mm -hmm. And it may also be a hint at the relative insignificance of joys and pleasures and comforts in this life in comparison to the infinite joys, pleasures forevermore that we will have at God's, in God's presence. Mm -hmm. Um, And this little day is ebbing out. So if you're familiar with the tides, there's an ebb tide and a flow, right? Right. So the ebb is when the water recedes away from the beach to the sea Mm -hmm. and the flow is when it's coming in. And in this stanza, life's little day is ebbing away. We can see it receding. We can see, you know, anything that may have been built in the sand. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the same way, we have this light and darkness playing a role. Earth's joys grow dim. They're ebbing as well. Its glories pass away. They're also ebbing. Change and decay in all around I see. So this world is transient. It's it's vain in an ecclesiastical sense. But God is immutable. Mute being the root of that word. We may know it from mutate or mutation or mutant. Um, Immutable means unchangeable. So Mm -hmm. God changes not, and we plead with him again, abide with me. Mm Mm-hmm. Romans 8.20 says that creation was subjected to futility. And I think, Colin, I've mentioned to you in the past that in the Septuagint, this word for futility is the same word used for Ecclesiastes' vanity. Yeah. So I think we can, we can say that what's meant by futility is something that is, in a grand scheme, quite meaningless, fading, transient, Mm-hmm. We see in a later verse of the song that change and decay are equated with Earth's vain shadows. So this is setting us up for, again, the juxtaposition of a world that will not last and will always change with a God who will forever last and will never change. Mm. It's a really beautiful stanza. It emphasizes in basically three different ways that things are dying, things are going bad, right? It really sets up the power in saying, thou changest not. Mm-hmm. 
really, really quite elegant. What about the third verse, Tyler? I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself, my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. Like you, I've been reading this in an Irish accent, but (laughs) resisting the temptation to try it out. Um, The singer, the author, rather, needs the presence of the Lord. And up to now, we may have been believing that this is purely for comfort. Mm -hmm. But in this verse, it becomes clear it's about something more. It's about foiling the power of the tempter, who Mm -hmm. is Satan. Yeah. And by the way, we know that that's Satan because in Scripture, Satan is referred to as the tempter several times. Mm -hmm. And in the second half of this stanza, uh, we see also God's presence is... Not merely comfort, not merely foiling the tempter's power, but a guide and a stay. Mm. Now, that's a strange word, Tyler. So, what's going on there? Yes, stay is a nautical word. It refers to the ropes that mount a mast to the body of the boat, Mm -hmm. so that in great wind or great storms, the mast doesn't collapse. Because if the mast collapse, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I will add that in the version of this that was recently posted to YouTube by the Gettys, and perhaps on the CD version, although I haven't listened to that, if anyone makes CD versions anymore, the singer, which is Kristen Getty, changes the word stay to strength. Mm. So it reads in her version, who like thyself, my guide and strength can be. Now, that's fine. Theologically, we would say the Lord yeah. is my strength. Yeah, he is, he is strong, I am weak. Yeah. Yes. But in the context of this song, I would argue that stay is important uh, because the latter half of this verse may have a nautical element to it. Mm-hmm. We don't see ships and, and water and stuff like that, but we do see cloud and sunshine. Mm-hmm. And if you are in the 19th century traveling on a boat and you want to have a stable mast a ship. secured with stays a ship uh, excuse me <laughs> such <laughs> a <you>. pleb <laughs> <laughs> if you're on a skipper um and you want to have a mast that's secure likely someone will be watching the weather quite keenly to make sure that storms aren't coming that you have fair weather for sailing yeah. and maybe i'm Maybe I am being a little bit too persnickety about this, but storm clouds could be a death sentence to you if you're on a boat in the middle yeah. of... I mean, it could be on a death sentence to you if you're on a boat today, yeah. but think of at the time taking weeks to cross large yeah. bodies of water. Or even just getting blown off course and into the kind of wrong set of currents or the wrong winds. I mean, this that's big trouble. Yes, that's the stuff of uh, treasure hunters today. They, yeah. they look for these ships that have sunk... If you think about the anxiety that some people feel when they board an airplane and they get off after three or four hours, if you're flying domestically, imagine feeling that for weeks at a time. Yeah. So I think 
retaining stay is probably important for retaining a sense of sea travel, which this yeah. minister did throughout his life. Yeah. I was trying to think of what the tempter is doing that would require the tempter to be foiled. I might cut this back into the earlier part. Yeah. Um, so who but thy grace, or what but thy grace can foil the tempter's powers? We know the tempter is powerful. Um, is the tempter trying to get the person to sin or to doubt? Because uh, the song is about the end of life for the most part. But I... I, I kind of wanted some more explicit understanding here of what exactly the tempter was doing or what the problem was. I see your point, because if we accept that this is built upon a framework of someone dying, what is Satan doing in the last hours of someone's yeah. life? Trying to make them recant of their profession? This verse, which includes the foiling of the tempter's power, does immediately follow a, the, a verse that I mentioned before about being rebellious and perverse oh. in one's youth. So that may be pointing yes. back to something that's been omitted. Yeah, so that's maybe why the, the clarification has been taken out. It's like a movie where some scene has been axed by the, by the producer, and then when you get the extended version, it's sort of like, oh, that's why. Where do you get this hand axe from? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, Fantastic. Because it may be implying that only the grace of God has saved this person from a life of sin, mm -hmm. which we would both affirm, but we can't know that for sure. Yeah. Because it's been omitted. Yeah. Yeah. We have to judge the song based on what's there, as you've already said. Christ's presence and presumably blessing to this person have a significant effect on the author. The author fears no foe, ills have no weight, tears have no bitterness, death has been robbed of its sting and grave its victory. So this is a significant effect to have on yeah. someone merely by abiding with them. It's an yeah. effect that only the Lord Jesus Christ could offer. Yeah. You can see the journey that the person has gone through because at the beginning of the song, there there's almost a kind of lament that life is gone and that the help you know, the helpers have gone and the world is dying. But now the person is singing of triumph and they're still dying, but just the realities of dying no longer carry great trepidation or fear for the person. Yes. And this is referencing a passage from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul writes, When this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nice. So, we have the scriptural references embedded in this verse, 
recalling a passage where Paul is talking about the resurrection of the dead and how victory and triumph is won for us in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really nice. There's a real confidence here, right? The foe is gone. The foe that was there in the previous verse is clearly gone. I fear no foe. Sadness doesn't have an effect. The illness the you know is ineffectual as well. There's just no worries. And Christ is abiding with the person, and it is making the person realize that they have triumph in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not only has Christ triumphed, but I triumph still, yeah. accord, you know, according to this mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Um, we just add, some are offended by the idea that ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Why is that? I have heard it argued that this line in particular downplays the suffering that people experience in day-to-day life in a sinful world surrounded by sinful people. Okay. So, my question is, shall we allow poetic license to proclaim that ills have no weight and tears no bitterness? Uh, you've really opened a can of worms here that I did not expect you to open, but it is something that I have thought about, and I will give some off-the-cuff thoughts, which is always dangerous. I have a prepared answer if you want me to give that I first. would like you to give your prepared answer much more than whatever garbage is about to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm just saying you can splice this in maybe after you've given no, some more thoughts. So. No, please, Tyler. Save me! Before. I didn't mean to. I, I no, brought a, you I brought are a, a true friend, rescuing me before I have even spoke. Well done. The song is echoing Paul's assurance that death has no sting, and grave no victory for us in Christ. Surely, for Paul and his readers, death was still seen as a sorrowful consequence of sinful man's rebellion, and he is allowed the license to emphasize Christ's great victory over death without dismissing the human suffering that death and the grave are. Yeah. So I think in this context, the same license can be afforded the author of this song. The author of this song is talking about dying, and we have to remember that. And even non-Christians can tell you, you can read stories about non-Christians on their deathbed, and ills really do seem to have almost no weight mm-hmm. uh, to them. They mm-hmm. are solely focused on what is to come. My thoughts on that are just this in brief. I do notice something with my own generation and probably even myself to a certain extent and people that I know well, there is a reaction, a good reaction to some of the things that we grew up with, which were just trite imperative verses. Like if you're, if you're feeling sad, someone just quoting at you. Be not anxious. Exactly, right? And obviously, that is so unhelpful. And so, some of us have reacted to that with a pendulum swing in the opposite direction, which is, no, you're not allowed to say words of comfort to me. I should be able to feel my feelings and be angry with God and be depressed and sort of psychologize myself and embrace the hurt and the sadness, and I should, and that to me also is an unhelpful extreme. And I'm not trying to be all Tim Keller here and be like, here's one extreme, here's the other extreme, but the right way is right down the middle. 
which, by the way, is his strategy in every single book that he's ever written. But um, the, the third way, yeah, right? the third the way, way, always the third way with that guy. Uh, but that uh, sometimes okay. Anyway, so the point is that criticism to me, I'm a little bit more sensitive to where the pendulum has gone with my generation. And yep, there is suffering. And it's there's hard things, and I know when I die. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to die, but. If there's some suffering when I die, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm not going to like it. But I would like to think that in the way that I have found comfort at other times in life when I am suffering, sometimes in the midst of suffering, but sometimes afterwards reflecting back on it and saying, wow, God was with me through some means, right? It was my wife, you know, talking with me. It was a friend. It was a book I was reading. It was God was with me in some way. And I think that that's kind of what this is just hinting at. It's not as though the suffering isn't happening. It's just that this person's eyes have been opened, that their vision of God is far bigger than the ills that they're experiencing. And In so, the same way that it's been opened to how much greater God is than the joys they experience in life, yeah, too. right, right. And so we just, we just have to be careful— about loving this ground that we're on a little bit too much, including wallowing in the suffering on this ground. It's good It's good for us to acknowledge suffering and not to be trite about it, but it is also perilous to and just kind of navel gaze too much as well. Hopefully that was inoffensive. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it too. <laughs> Although if our listeners, the listeners that are with us thus far, I... You know, they must have constitutions of steel. Uh, okay. You guys have got con scores of 20. <laughs> right. Tyler, this is a neat closing to the song. Yes, it is. We come full circle on the imagery of light and darkness to where it began in twilight. Mm -hmm. Darkness deepened. We were in the deep of night and heaven's morning breaks. And we know that this heaven, that this morning will never end, that we will be in eternal blessed day Mm -hmm. with the Lord. I think this is maybe a more metaphorical meaning of point. Like when you go to someone's house and you don't know where things are, you say, would you point me to the kitchen? And Mm -hmm. they lead you to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I think point me to the skies doesn't mean look up at the stars and the clouds above, but lead me into heaven where I will have an eternal home. I was thinking about the nautical metaphor for this one as point, almost as orient, which is the same thing that you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, so in a after a storm or after a, the dark, um, then the the a good navigator orients the person to where they're going to their destination. Obviously, at this time they had compasses, but earlier they would have had sundials, which would make yeah. the metaphor of light and darkness yeah, even, even more helpful. Yeah, yeah. So can I say one uh, thing about maybe the style of this? Uh-huh. Most versions of this song make this last verse very climactic. Mm -hmm. because you're ascending into heaven. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if it would be appropriate 
for maybe the earlier verses that have more tumult and chaos to be a bit louder, mm-hmm. and then to have this final verse be extremely peaceful yeah. and calm. It yeah. would be a kind of inversion of the music that we're used to hearing. Yeah. Because most, not just most churches and most church songs, but just most rock music songs, in general. Songs, yeah. There's a climax, like, yeah. you know, three quarters of the way through the song. Yeah. Um, and this one seems to lend itself greatly to a kind of solace at the end, a divine yeah. peace. Yeah. I agree with you. And you especially see. The, you see the emphasis on peace in numerous places, and it, you also see it in this final line, in life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. So now we have this idea of God abiding with the singer now, not just during life, not while everything's falling apart and they're ill, but, oh, God does abide with me in death. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this was an eternal abiding. And it's not as if the person didn't know this, but he's realized it now, right? As the ship has now sailed through the storm, you know, the night has come, death has passed, and he's now oriented towards the skies. Um, he he realizes that God is still with him, that Christ is still with him. The songs can't do everything, and it's a shame that they can't because there is a large hole missing in the timeline, right? For a Christian, it's not life and then death and being with God, but yes. life, death, and then resurrection, and God yes. will abide with us. Yes. We will be corporeal again, yes. abiding with God. Yeah. I'm not going to dock the song for what I think it should have included, but I do think it is notable that that's missing. Yeah, I agree with you. And there are some gaps in the song, and we're kind of moving towards wrap-up time now. So let's talk about some of those things, Tyler. There are clear references to Scripture in this, which is good. They are applied well, which is also good. There's a metaphor of light and darkness that runs as a thread throughout the entire song, which is good. Yeah. Um, if you retain the original verses that have been omitted from the Getty version, I think it would be a fine song to do. Mm-hmm. A very good song to do, even. Mm-hmm. But without them? Without them, some significant aspects, even essential aspects, have mm-hmm. been removed. Mm-hmm. With the omitted verses retained, I would wholeheartedly endorse this. Without them, I would ambivalently endorse this. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am. I think uh, it's a shame that there's so much only about dying in here because there was clearly more in the original. And there kind of needs to be more. And you see little hints at those that that deeper meaning to the song in what survives. Like, it's clear that they didn't quite tie up all the loose ends. Like you, I am at best ambivalently okay-ish with this song, and maybe that allows us to move towards the rating. Uh, I'm going to give this song a four out of five doo-wops. What? Doo-wops, Colin. At least that's what I'm calling them. Between a couple of the verses, there's an instrumental interlude mm-hmm. and for whatever reason Kristen Getty has decided to go doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. There's no words as attached to it as far as I can tell. And I don't mean to make fun of her. Yeah, sure. Um it just it stuck out to me because the whole song is kind of somber and serious. Mm-hmm. And then there's just this moment of incomprehensible release that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I really uh, enjoyed the video of this song because, and I won't say too much about this, I thought when I first saw the song, I was just nostalgic for songs that were written prior to the, for just videos of the way people were interacting prior to this year. And then lo and behold, it was made this year. It was made in like September or November of this year. And I thought that was really nice to see all these people, you know, gathered together, playing music together, making a little video. It was nice. Uh, I gave the song three out of five formants. You may not even know what a formant is. Vocal formants? Of yes. The vocal tract? Yes. So formant is a tone, uh, kind of an overtone that exists. It particularly is used nowadays in auto-tuning. And it's a good way, if a, tu- if a song has not been, if a vocal track has not been auto-tuned with careful precision, it's possible to hear the formants coming through and, and kind of making the, the sound a little bit synthetic. I have to say, there were times in the recording of this song when you can really hear the formants, where she's where Kristen Getty is holding long notes and you can hear the, the artificial overtones coming through. not a dig at Kristen Getty. Everybody uses auto-tune these days to fix bits and pieces. I don't I don't hold it against her. Um, but it's just something that stuck out to me in the recording. So there you go. Three out of five formants. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Worship Review. We hope that you will join us in the future and also in the past. You can go back on theworshipreview.com, check out our previous episodes. We did a series of 20 episodes on contemporary Christian worship music, as we might call it. So you can check those out. You can also find us on Twitter at The Worship Review, I believe, something like that. If you type in The Worship Review to Twitter, you'll run into us. Also, you can find us on uh, Spotify. And if you wish to donate to the cause so that we don't have to pay out of pocket for our web hosting and uh, just other various things that cost us little bits of money. It's not an expensive podcast by any stretch, but it would be nice to have a little bit of change so that we don't have to pay for it ourselves. You can do that at patreon.com slash the worship review, or you can donate to us at anchor.com slash the worship review. Thanks a bunch. You've been listening to the worship review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment or email us at feedback at the worship We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.